Kora from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Live to tell. Live to tell. It's a two-week series. If you, uh, This is week two. Last week, um, it was, we had Fita Law um, take the first, you know, series, first part. And it's on evangelism. And I said before, this topic, you know, I've preached this. When I preached evangelism, and like I said, in my four years, um, I remember preaching one sermon. I've got to go back to it. There's probably a recording a couple of years back on evangelism, and I sort of shared about how I was not an evangelist kind of thing. It wasn't in a negative way. um, But today I can honestly say I'm an evangelist. (laughs) And that's pretty cool to be able to say that. Um, and today's sermon, hopefully I'll get to share why I've, be, I've, I've become one. Um, and um, yeah, so, you know, it'll be a bit hearty, be a bit honest, but it's the honest so that you can walk away being challenged in, uh, about this topic because we share the gospel, but it doesn't talk about sharing, it talks about preaching, it talks about testifying, it talks about declaring the gospel. Those words are different. I share food. Know, that's different, and so I want us to understand the difference from that um, as we as we preach. Even though you may hear me say the word "share" in my sermon today, it's hopefully you know what I mean. And I have so many stories about how I failed at evangelizing because, as a Christian, you know, I was told to to go out and, and witness so others can come to know Jesus. Right? However, it's easier said than done. And Fitzaloa last week uh, she shared, you know. Uh, two reasons, right? Why Christians do not evangelize, why we don't evangelize to others about Jesus. And it's usually because we don't know what to say, you know, to someone when testifying Jesus. And the other one is we don't see the importance about testifying to others. And so I'm going to add two more reasons, okay, uh, why people do not testify about Jesus to others. But before I do, I, I want to share some some scripture to link my two reasons as how Fee linked her two reasons to scripture last week. And today, today's story is taken from the New Testament, and it's found in the book of Acts. And the reason why this book is called the book of Acts is because it features and it talks of the achievements of, of men in the history of Bible times. So, you know, this is where you will find the story of, of one of Jesus' disciples, um, Peter. And also, a lot of you that know a bit about the Bible, you, you know the story of Paul. Paul was a guy that, you know, who, who was, he hated Christians. But then we learn about their actions or their acts that they carried out and, and eventually testifying about Christ. So today I'm going to briefly share about the life of a man in the book of Acts named Philip. And his story is found in Acts chapter 8, if you're needing to take notes. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and, and would read, and the story pretty much goes throughout to verses 40. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to, uh, to 40. And just a brief background in his story. You know, at this time, there are new followers of, of Jesus, and, and this Jesus craze um, has expanded now, you know, to a number of about over 3,000 believers and Philip is amongst those believers. He's one of them. And at this time, right, all Christians, all the Christians then, they're all getting persecuted. 
And they are getting put in prison because of their new belief in Jesus. And so it causes Christians to, to go on the run. They're literally on the run, yet while they're on the run, they're hiding. And while they are hiding, they are actually still testifying this new gospel of Jesus to others. And so Christianity was a new thing at that time. It was a new thing to the world and the people. There were people that were trying to stop this new Jesus craze. But instead of stopping this Jesus movement, you know, through persecution, persecution was actually making it grow. And so while Peter is on the run, uh, sorry, Philip, while Philip is on the run from getting persecuted, he has this, uh, this interesting encounter, right? Um, it says in the Bible, with, with an angel of the Lord. And this is what the angel first says to him. The angel goes, okay, I want you to go to the desert, to south, go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay? And so that's all he gets. And so Philip has no idea why, but he goes. In other words, he obeys. He obeys this voice in his head, I guess, uh, which we know is the angel of the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit, and and then it goes on. So he heads out, right? And on his way to the desert road, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official. He's a, he's a eunuch that's in charge of, he's a treasurer. And he's a treasurer of um, a, a, a queen that is based in Ethiopia. So a few things we've got to take note here. He's an Ethiopian eunuch, meaning he's a black man. He's a eunuch. Um, and a male who was labeled for life because of their, you know, bodily castra uh, castration. And he was a treasurer for a queen in Ethiopia. So this tells us that he wasn't poor. He wasn't uneducated because he looked after the wealth of a kingdom. And so this Ethiopian eunuch had gone, what had happened, the story is he had gone to Jerusalem, right, to worship. And on his way back home, he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And this is another interesting point, okay, you've got to get here. Like I said, he was a black man. He was a eunuch. He's, he was a treasurer to a mighty kingdom. But get this, he was also a follower of Jewish laws. And this is another interesting, you know, this is interesting because take note of this verse because I'll refer back to, uh, you know, that, that part later. But, you know, in verse 29, the spirit told Philip, like I said, go to the chariot and stay near. So Philip is now in the desert, right? And he's walking along and he sees this chariot. And then the spirit, you know, of the Lord says to Philip, now I want you to go, you know, stand near that chariot. Go near it. So Philip, he runs up, he, you know, Philip ran up to the chariot, and then he heard this man, which is, we know in the story, is the, this Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah, you know, the prophet. And so you, he must have been reading out loud, right? Have you, do you get annoyed when people read out loud? You know, and the thing is this, and that, and he goes, shush! And he went to the, you know, you just, the, who, who's guilty of that? I am, <laughs> yeah. But here he is, he, he hears the Ethiopian uh, eunuch reading about Isaiah, the prophet. And this is what he says, he says to the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? This is what Philip asks, and then the eunuch says, how can I? I mean, uh, 
unless someone explains it to me. And so what he does is he invites Philip into his chariot to come and sit with him. And I like the next two verses, verses 32, verses 33. I want to read it to you, uh, you know, the Message Bible. And this is what it says. The passage the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet was this. As a sheep led to slaughter and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and he was put down, never got a fair trial, but who now can count his descendants, for his life has been taken from the earth. And so the eunuch is reading that, right? And he turns to Philip and he goes, can you tell me? Is this prophet Isaiah, is he actually talking about himself or is he, is he talking about someone else? And then Philip, at that moment, he begins with that, you know, this very passage of scripture and he starts to tell this eunuch about the good news of Jesus. And these scriptures are from the book of Isaiah 53 that, um, you know, the eunuch is reading. And it's from this prophet who was alive probably about 800 years before this moment. And it doesn't mention what Philip tells him exactly, but by looking at the passage that the Ethiopian is reading, it is, you know, it's actually a prophecy about the crucifixion of Jesus. And so you can see Philip here on, the, on your left and his hands, is, you know, he's explaining all these things. You know, he's, he's right in the moment of testifying about the gospel of Jesus. And so, um, Philip, you know, he would have shared and told how Jesus, he didn't get a fair trial, but everyone wanted him dead anyway. You know, all the way from Jesus getting beaten up to hanging on the cross, Jesus, he says nothing. He doesn't open his mouth right until he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what, what they've done. And where it says in that scripture earlier, it said, but who now can count his descendants, right? Philip would have explained that after, you know, after the death of, of, of Jesus and his resurrection, his descendants, they've become so numerous as the stars in the sky and, and he leaves earth and, he, and Jesus, he goes back to the Father. And Philip may have finished probably by saying this to the Ethiopian, you know what, man? I'm one of those descendants. But guess what? Jesus, his death and his resurrection has made it possible for anyone to become a descendant of him. That also means you. And we read further on, other things start to happen, but right at the end in, in verse, I think around the verse 39, it says that the Ethiopian eunuch comes to find a relationship in Jesus and he heads home on his way rejoicing. Now, um, you know, historians say that this is the first Ethiopian Christian. And he goes back and he's in a kingdom. Um, and the queen that is very well known in Ethiopia of, of, you know, that he was the treasurer of becomes Christian. And then it filters out in that place. If Philip did not obey the Holy Spirit, the opportunity of the Ethiopian eunuch finding a relationship in Jesus may have missed out if he didn't obey. You know, as a Christian, one of the very things we are encouraged to do, right, 
is to testify about the good news of Jesus to the world that you and I live in, to evangelize. You know, your world is, is your home amongst your family. So you're evangelizing in front of your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your kids, your grandchildren, or it could be at your work. Your workplace in front of your boss, your co-workers, your staff, your colleagues. It could be at your school, your universities, to your teacher, in front of your teacher, to your classmates, in front of your, the lecturer, the students. Even here in our community, you know, our, our, our next door neighbor, the street that you live on, it is, it's even the, the surrounding suburbs that you live he, around here in Auckland. And when you think of it that way, you think, man, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> and that feels like a lot of pressure for a Christian, doesn't it? And this is a hard part of being a Christian, testifying about the good news of Jesus. Because in regards to evangelizing, testifying about Jesus, it involves you and I to step out of our comfort zone. I always, okay, this is, I always felt inadequate to testify about Jesus to people. I mean, even as a, a long-time veteran of Christianity, right, it was hard because of the very two reasons that Fitzer Law shared about last week. I didn't know what to say, and I didn't see any importance of testifying. Yet over time, I became better at it because I had to, you know what, I, I had to, as a Christian, I, I had to find ways and I had to find ideas that best worked for me on how to declare the gospel of Jesus to others. And I wasn't someone that found it easy to, to go on my campuses, right, and, and boldly walk up to a stranger and just testify about Jesus. The many times I did try that, and I did, without telling people that I did. But I always walked away, probably more discouraged. More discouraged because I wasn't good at this evangelizing thing and evangelizing in this way. And so I wasn't like the other amazing evangelists that I was always around um, on campus and things and who were more bold, right? There's something in them, they just were more bold. They were more bold in talking to strangers and they would be more successful Right, then me was reaching everyone they spoke with. And I just couldn't get it. And I thought, man, how, how do you do that? And can I be honest with you all today? I'm going to be anyway. But I'm still afraid. I'm actually still afraid to step out and testify the good news of Jesus to strangers. There, I said it. But you're the pastor. Well, Sorry. <laughs> Yet, I feel safe to say it here because I think I'm in a room of people who share the very same thoughts. And we saw last week, right, I like this, this timeline showing where a person's beliefs and understanding of Jesus can be in one's life, right? Now, the question I want to ask here as I go on, when you look at this timeline behind me, in your own personal life, Right now, where do you think you are in your relationship with Jesus? Let me share my story very quickly so you get where I'm going at. 
You know, as a young university student many years ago, I remember I was in, you know, I've shared this many times, I was in a dark place in my life, and, and I needed to get out of all my troubles that was eating me up on the inside. You know, my, my life just felt so empty. And, you know, I remember, I remember it so clearly as if it was yesterday, those dark moments. And I finally came to my senses that during that period of my life, that Jesus, he was the answer to my problems. And the reason why I knew he was the answer was because I grew up in church all my life. The thing was, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus the way that I thought I did. And so, you know, I became interested in Christianity. I didn't even know who Jesus was on a personal level. And so, and, and I said, I grew up in church my whole life. Eventually, at university, a verse was shown to me by someone, and this is what it read, and I'll just say it out. Some of you may know it. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't even live or do the things that I tell you? Ouch. <laughs> when that person read that verse to me, I wanted to punch him in the face. This is my brother-in-law. <laughs> that verse made me think right then and there about my life. And you throughout my internal problems at that time in university, my, my inner darkness and things that I was going through, and I knew I needed to change. And there was a personal change that needed to happen. But it took me time, right? It took me time for me to decide to change. It actually took me years. It took me years to decide on changing. And the more I tried to run away from Jesus, the more he kept showing me the importance of having him in my life. And my sin was the thing that was stopping me from getting to him. And while over time I, I eventually gave my life to following Jesus, and that was when the repentance and faith kicked in. I got it. I realized my life. In my life today, it has been an ongoing walk with Jesus. It's, man, it's been for over 20 years when I think about it. 20 years now, remembering the foundations of Christianity and always praying. You know, I'm, I'm constantly having to pray for my character and my integrity. You know, the, the issues that I have still today, the things that I get angry about, the people I get angry at. I am constantly, as a pastor, and just as a, a human being, that's just having to forgive and repent and forgive and repent. It's just ongoing. And so this is my life on this timeline. Through the trials of, of life, even in my life today, I pray to grow. I, I'm, I constantly pray, like I said, in my character, and to have character and faith in Him. And I want to bring your attention to, to this thought, okay? One of the most hardest parts of this timeline behind me is having, listen now, having to guide someone else through it. It's easy for me to share about my life, 
you know, and how it was, it came from an empty life, the emptiness to growing in character. But to try and walk alongside another person who is going through their journey, that is a thing that is not easy for many of us in this room. I'm guilty. It's not easy. And I've seen so many of you here in this church walk alongside others, right? In, the history, in our time being together, the many years, you know, I've seen you walk alongside others in such journeys. And the truth is, it hasn't been easy for you either to walk with somebody who doesn't, first off, they probably don't have a clue or they're not even interested, right, at their point of life and their time in finding repentance and faith in Jesus. It is so easy to give up on people that are not interested in Jesus. And I have people in my life that have come so close, right, so close to to repentance and faith to follow Jesus. And just when I think, you know, they are about to choose to make this this conscious decision to to live life for Jesus, for him, something happens. And, and, And then all of a sudden, they just go back to their old ways. And when that happens, I become frustrated. I become frustrated because of all the effort that I put in to reaching out to them. My money, my time, the long hours spent during their trialed lives. I've had to pick people up from the prison, get them out because, you know, and and I'm just saying, man, come on, bro. Again? I'm tired of this. You know, and you get to this point, I get to this point, you know, through prayer and fasting for them, and and all to see it go up in smoke, because I've lost them to the ways of the world that they were trying to get away from in the first place. It is so frustrating, and because I've been hurt from it, I don't care. I don't want to care about them anymore can't be bothered. But this is what happens. The tables now have turned. My whole focus in believing to see them or him or her come to Jesus, it is now directed on my own personal feelings. My hurts, my pain. And I no longer am interested to reach out because I've lost trust in testifying about Jesus. And so I want to add to the list that Fita Law shared last week, reasons why Christians do not evangelize to others about Jesus. Two, just two, two reasons. And the first one is, it's because we are scared that we will lose friendships and relationships if we testify. And the second one is, We lose trust in God when testifying about Jesus if it does not work. Coming back to the the, the story, God prepared, right, the Ethiopian to meet Philip that day. You know, remember back in verse 27, it said, this man, which is the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading 
the book of Isaiah the prophet. This particular Ethiopian, this is at the end of this verse, of verse 28, this particular Ethiopian was a believer of the Jewish law. So here we have this man. He was an outsider. He was a foreigner. He was a Gentile that followed Jewish law. So in other words, he wasn't born a Jew. Did you ever think about where he got his book, the prophet of Isaiah, from? The fact that he went to Jerusalem to worship, this Gentile man that followed Jewish law, did it ever come to mind that he may have purchased the book of Isaiah while visiting Jerusalem? And after worshiping in Jerusalem, right, he's traveling back to Ethiopia, and he starts reading the book. He's got a fair way to go, so you know he can, he can read it all the way. And he's reading the book, and he's reading it out loud, where some of us get annoyed when people read out loud, but that's what he's doing. And he's, he starts. He starts from chapter 1, and as he's reading, he's now at chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. And he turns to his surprise, and he sees this random guy at his chariot while he's reading, you know, one of the verses in chapter, you know, 53. And this person's saying, do you understand what you're reading? It's like, Moses, where'd you come from? It's Philip, right? Right at that moment, the Ethiopian was in a place of decision for his own personal life. And he was wanting deeper understanding of what he believed in. You know, he was a Gentile, Gentile following Jewish law and customs, but he had questions that there must be more to life. And God brought Philip into his path to explain the deeper meaning of what he was reading. And from there, the Ethiopian became a believer in Jesus. See, we read the story of, and we see that it's all about Philip. But did you ever realize that it may actually be about the Ethiopian? <laughs> now, I may not be a great evangelist like many others who who are out there and who can go straight up to random people on the street and, and preach the gospel of Jesus to them. However, I am good at building relationships with people. Relationships where I am genuine to, to build friendships and, and trust so that one day, that's the day I can probably testify the gospel of Jesus to them. Will I be scared that I might lose their friendship if I testify the gospel of Jesus? Yes. I'm very scared. Because I don't know what my friendship may end up like if I confront these people about Jesus. Even if it was set up the way that Philip had with this Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Philip still, right? He still had to testify about Jesus to him. And I personally think that it was still a bold thing for Philip to do, even though it seemed it was all God's plan in the first place, Philip could have been scared and not even preached to the Ethiopian. But praise God, he did. You know, the other thing, can we, can we lose trust in God when, when testifying about Jesus doesn't work? The answer is yes, <laughs> you do. We lose patience with people if they haven't come to know Jesus in our timing and in our schedule and we potentially that we had potentially planned, you know, for them. But can I be honest? And this was a challenge for me. 
But who told you that you were the one to help lead them to God? When we refer back to that timeline, you and I, we play a big part in guiding others through their journey. And just maybe, okay, you just may be the first encounter your friend or that person has in becoming just aware that they are in need for a personal life change. You may be the first person, or you may be the 100th person your friend or that person has in becoming aware that they are in need for a personal life change. It doesn't mean that they're going to get saved. It's a journey. It's evangelism. And we need to remember that evangelism, it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix to to the answers we all want. It is going to take some time for some people, right, to get a grasp on finding repentance and faith in Jesus. Can you remember when you were there? You didn't make the decision straight away. I shared, it took me years of living a fake Christian, turning up to youth at my church, being a leader. I was faking it. I had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. I grew up in church. It took years. (laughs) And so... My encouragement to all of us here is this. Don't lose trust in God when we do not see our friends and family come to a relationship straight away. Be bold. Hear me here, though. You still need to be bold. You still need to be bold in testifying the gospel of Jesus when you have the opportunity. Whether it is through a long time of building with someone, or it is having an encounter like Philip did with the Ethiopian. He didn't even know the guy, but he obeyed. There's no right or wrong about how you do this. They're just different ways. You know, in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, uh, sorry, Verse 1, this is what it says. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, for the assurance about what we do not see. You know, Philip, you have, like Philip, you have no idea who you may bump into after church all this week. And are we prepared that God may just give you the opportunity not to share, but to testify? To testify with that person about the living Jesus like he did with Philip meeting the Ethiopian on the desert road. God's spirit presents to Philip this opportunity, right, to explain the good news of Jesus. And you and I, we we must, man, we can't miss the prompting of God's spirit, you know, in these just spontaneous times, conversations that you may have with people and think that it's going to be the wrong timing. You've got to be bold. God has prepared or is currently preparing people that are crying out for help. You may be the very person. You may be the very person that meets them this week or next week or next month or next six months or next year. You may be that Philip for that person. And the other thing I need to mention 
why was the Ethiopian eunuch so intrigued in reading the book of the prophet Isaiah? Eunuchs had no place in the real world because they were slaves and they couldn't have kids because their bodily part to, to have children was castrated. They were humiliated for that as well because they couldn't have children. And the main point was to carry on your namesake, to carry on your name. But let me read the book of Isaiah. And, and the reason why this eunuch took an interest to read the book in the first place, right? It's taken from Isaiah chapter 56. Let me read. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Get this part. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and if within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This was a promise in the book of Isaiah 56 about him this eunuch that he didn't even understand, right? And it didn't make full sense to him until Philip shared this part of Scripture in the book of Isaiah that it was talking about Jesus. And through Christ's death and resurrection, the eunuch had an everlasting name that would never be cut off. Like this Ethiopian eunuch, you may be trying to search for answers and at times confused, right, or, or you're not clear with your direction or your purpose or, or even your relationship in Christ, man, allow God to take you through your journey because the answer, it may not come this week or it may. It may come this week. It, it may come next week. It may come next month. It may come in the next six months. I don't know. It may come next year. Yet having the faith to be confident in the things we hope for and the assurance of things we do not see. You're not here by mistake as I finish. No matter where you are at in your life, it, it, it's, it's between you and God, right? Your relationship. We can look good on the outside and pretend. But God deals with the inside. We all know that. The heart. And so where are you at in your relationship with him? And so I want us to not only think of it that way, but as people that are going out to evangelize, I hope you hear my heart and I hope you, un you, you hear the understanding that it's relationships. Build the relationships. I have so many on my list that I pray for and I constantly meet with them. And I've shared so many times... So and it's been years that I, I meet with certain people these last couple of years. They didn't come to church, but I do church with them. I don't have to do it here on Sunday. I'm doing it with them out there. And I've had opportunities to share the gospel, and they've all said no. So I'm still not good at evangelizing, probably. But I'm bold. That's what it was. I realized it's got nothing about me sharing. It's about being bold and being obedient. And so I had to learn ways of evangelizing. And I'm good at relationships. So I've figured that out. And so I have friends that constantly say, brother, I'm coming to church this Sunday. I don't pressure them because I know they probably won't turn up. 
But that's a start, right? They've become interested. But they've only become interested because they've seen my life, the way that I live, the relationship that I have with Christ. And I believe some of you are the same. And so I'm going to pray for us about this heart. I've been part of every nation for, like I said, 20, 20 so years, almost 20, 20 years. The first two years, I think, uh, or maybe three, I didn't have a heart for the lost. I didn't realize that I didn't have a heart for the lost. I didn't get it though. I, there was a revelation that, man, I didn't have a heart for lost because I just wasn't interested. And maybe because there were these reasons, I, was, I didn't know what to say. There wasn't, it wasn't important for sure. I was scared because my friends that I was hanging out with may stop hanging out with me. And then I just knew if I keep doing it, I just going backwards of trying to testify because it's not working. It's failing me. So you get scared to do it. But God requires obedience and he'll meet you there when you obey. Let's pray.